So it is September 22nd, 2019. Our message this morning is called Fiery Faith, and we intend for it to stay that way. Look, here recently we have started a series. The series was called All Aboard. Pastor Wade and Judah began preaching about this. It was based on a survey of some 17 years and 1,500 and some odd messages. What are the core principles that make LCM LCM? Can we put that slide on the screen? The recap of All Aboard had to do with how one life, one family, and one nation had these seven principles in them that we couldn't have planned it, that God developed it over time. After All Aboard, we moved on to other things. We went to foundational transformation. In this, we learn about having an authentic revelation from God that leads to a one life that has been transformed into the very image of God. This was a powerful message that began to lay the groundwork of what we now participate in at LCM. We went on then to full price. Come on, somebody say full price. Full, full price. price. There is no other way that we can live, not only here at LCM, but actually in the kingdom. The Stevens family, including Abby Stevens, got up here and shared with us that DCD mentality that this is the best job that we have ever had because we are paying full price. We actually insist on paying full price because this is LCM. Yes. Oh my goodness. After full price, how many of you enjoyed the Piro speaking? Not only did Pastor Matthew slap you with the Torah Piro, stand up and preach, but beautiful Pastress Cassidy stood up and preached. Not only did Cassidy stand up and preach, but we got to hear from each little propeller in the Piro household. I will never forget family function. I watched it develop over a decade. And I got to see it displayed in a single hour in a beautiful way. But for me, the phrase that stands out is, get yourself in the truck. Oh yeah! I got to tell you, when it comes to performing the family function, all I want to do and I pray all you want to do is get your whole family in the truck. Come on. Well, let me propel you to go to Leviticus chapter 9. We'll start in verse 1. There we go. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. We're beginning the message this morning with an allusion to some of you that have been through a hermeneutics class, understanding what the eighth day meant, something new. Those of you who have been through ministry training class, you understand the importance of teams and the way in which they are built and the way that sons are established in the house of God. It's those that imitate the image of their father. We're going to throw several themes your way this morning, but we want to direct your hearts and your minds to central points of fiery faith. Amen. Our faith is supposed to be a new faith every single day for everyone. That new day starts with being a leader. You see, when Moses and Aaron, you had a team. Sons of these men formed a team. Elders that joined this family were a team. Amen. Fiery faith is maintained in unity of teams. Come on, somebody say fiery faith. Fiery faith. Let's look down at verse 5 in the same chapter. They took the things Moses commanded to the front of the tent of meeting. And the entire assembly, 
came near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Church, what you're hearing already this morning is commands of the Lord. These aren't suggestions. These aren't uh, our perspectives on things. These are commands of the Lord here for you today. Say, they're for me. They're for me. And why are they here for us today? That you might be able to see the glory of the Lord. That it might appear to you. Not to someone far off, but here in this room to each individual. Look at verse 7. Moses said to Aaron, come to the altar and sacrifice your sin. Church, Moses said to Aaron, come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and the people. What a foundational piece of what LCM is because this is the foundation of the kingdom. We spend so much time trying to think about other people. We hear a prophecy and we presume that it's for our neighbor. Yeah, they need that. Mm -hmm. They should be listening. Maybe you're right. But do you see that the order that the scripture of the Almighty God lays out for you? Come on, brother. Moses said to Aaron, you take care of yourself first. This is LCM Spirit-Filled Airlines, and we're wanting everybody to get all aboard. Amen. When the mass dropped from the ceiling because of the pressure of the sin-crushing power of God is here, you need to put the mask on yourself first. Come on, this is better than what you're, you're looking at me. You're like, yeah, this seems simple. Yeah, but very few people in this room, we're not talking about somewhere else, but here in this room, are actually trying to look at this. See, what you look at it as, it's unfair. Someone else did this. I've got this, this offense. They offended me. Take care of your own heart first, yes. and then you are right to be able to help someone else. Are you saying, Pastor, that you cannot go rescue people? That you cannot go minister to the whole world when you yourself are in desperate need of ministry? That's exactly what I'm saying. Oh, how could that be right? Because we're so busy being fruitful. You can't see it behind us. It's not there. But we're so busy being fruitful, Pastor. How can I take time out of my busy ministry to actually be ministered to? Because the truth is, is there is no fruit until you start by getting your sin right. Come on. No matter what you're counting as fruit, it doesn't even count as fruit for the kingdom. Oh, but, but Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we reach out to our families because we needed to? Didn't we do these great things? And what does the Lord say? He says, I never knew you. Get away from me. We are trying to get to a fiery faith this morning that does not leave anyone out. Pastor, it's not only the Lord that didn't know him. You know who else doesn't know him? The brothers that sit beside them on when they come to church occasionally. Because when you work as a lone ranger and you're not in a team, how does anybody know you? In fact, you might not even know yourself. Man. Church, we start by dealing with our sin. Say, my sin. My sin. That's where you need to start today. Moses said to Aaron in verse 7, Come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself. And, somebody say and, and and the people, sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. We first start with our own sin, then we can help other people with their sins. The point is that everyone, say everyone, everyone, everyone gets to fully experience the glory of the Lord. 
What you hear from your pastors constantly before you is that it is our desire that everyone in this room be able to experience, be able to live in the glory of God. See, you think that we are not angry with you. We are so passionate because we have a fiery faith and we want you to have the same thing. A fiery faith settles for nothing less than this. A fairy faith cares only about being blessed and what you can achieve. Oh my goodness. Fairy faith. Like a little Disney movie. Tinkerbell pastors granting your every wish. I've seen more fairy faith than I've seen fiery faith in my life. Hey, let's pick up in Leviticus 9. We're going to be in verse 22. Then Aaron lifted his hands. Come on, lift up your hands. You know, everybody in the room lifted their hands. I'm so thankful, but you didn't do it like Aaron did it. See, the scripture right here says, Then Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and blessed them. Pastor's just done a great job of telling us that you can't save others until you yourself have been ministered to appropriately. But once you have, once you've gotten to that altar and your sin is atoned for and you are taking your direction from the Lord, the first thing that He'll tell you to do is stretch out your hands towards others. The problem is you can't stretch out your dirty hands towards somebody else. They're going to have to be clean hands. You're not going to be able to stretch out your deeds towards someone else if the deeds did not originate from the throne of God. You say, but I got to. See, they have a need and I'm here and and I have to. No, you work for the King of Kings. You do what He tells you to do. You no longer get to choose what you do with your hands. That's how they got dirty in the first place. Then Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. To be a blessing to others, you yourself will have to be blessed from heaven. You can't confer it upon yourself. You can't simply say, well, it happened in 1970 and it's still going. No, if you didn't receive something today, what do you have to give everybody else? You know what you have to give them. And it hasn't been working. You need a fresh word. Jesus didn't tell Nicodemus the same thing that he told the woman at the well. He tells one, you have to be born again. He tells the other, you need the Spirit, the waters of heaven. He had an appropriate prescription for each person because he met with his Father before he met with other people. So, oh, I do that. I just do it alone. That's not how the Bible teaches it. That's not how the priesthood works. Then Aaron lifted his hand towards the people and he blessed them. We want to bless you. What we're trying to do is bless you. You know why? We spent time with the Lord and this is the word that He gave us. And it corrected. I was the first to the altar today. My mind's worried about a great many things. There's problems way outside of my control. But the thing is, is the Lord didn't tell me to go address those problems. He told me one thing, to address you. So I'm not going to waste energy everywhere else. I'm going to do the one thing that He told me to do. Can you say the same? Having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, He stepped down. Somebody say step down. Step Step down. down. Man, you don't see men of God do this very often anymore. In fact, if they do something that blesses everybody, they step up, they don't step down. We live in a time period where the only thing bigger than the steeples on our churches are the egos on the pastors. We need men of God who reach out to be blessed by God so that they can bless others and then they step down. They get out of the way of God's glory. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people. 
See, a life that keeps meeting with God always blesses people. It can't help but bless people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. This is the motivation for why we preach the way we do, why we live the way we do. We want every person in this room to experience the power of the resurrection. Verse 24. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and it consumed the burnt offerings and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people, somebody say all the people. All the people. When all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. See, when men blessed by God, when they are blessed by God, they can't help but be a blessing to others. When the Lord sees us lift our hands to bless others, He stretches out His hand to bless us. Come on, somebody say that's true. That's true. true. Men whose sins have been atoned for can't help but want the sins of others to be atoned for. They're never lifted up for this. It's God who does the atoning. Maybe some of the reasons so many family members that are not regenerate and do not live right are so dependent on you is you haven't appropriately put them in the presence of the Lord. Are you teaching them to depend upon you or teaching them to depend upon the Lord? Are you a substitute for the Lord in their lives? Men who step down in humility are highly regarded by God. They get to see God step into attentive meeting with them in new and fiery ways. Stepping down in humility and stepping into meetings with the Lord allow you to step out in fiery faith. The kind that fixes the faith of people around you, not puts band-aids on it. This event was the beginning of a generational faith of the priesthood of God. It was fiery. It was lit from the holy altars of God's heavenly fires. It was a fiery faith that brought fire to the faith of others. Saints, this morning, do you want a fiery faith that ignites the flames of faith in other people? Amen. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. We aim to set your hearts ablaze as the living God sets our hearts ablaze. Verse 21 of chapter 18. Elijah went before the people. And said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Oh, this fiery man of God stood up to confront a group of people that were wavering between God and between Baal. And when he stood there with his fiery faith, he declared, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. The signs of having a fiery faith is that you are immovable. There is no fluctuation. There's no cowardice of just wavering between whichever opinion is the most accepted in the room. What does your faith look like? Pastor, he didn't beg them. He didn't give away gift certificates if they would just show up to his meeting. I had a feeling if this were occurring today, you might see a long line. Of people serving themselves with Starbucks near the altar of God. Some type of fluctuation that allows them to waver between who are they going to serve. Because a fiery faith doesn't fluctuate. It is foundational. 
and facilitates the faith in other people. Come on, let's look at the next verse. Let's keep going in the same passage. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophet, prophets left. Well, it feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? But Baal has 450 prophets. Yes, yeah, because the men of God, men and women of God will always be outnumbered. Don't worry about it. You don't even need to count. They're going to have more than you do, at least in the natural. Elijah goes on to say, get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood of the altar, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. You know what this reminds me of? That both sets of circumstances were exactly the same. Here is the scenario of what's about to happen when fire is going to fall. He says, let's make it exactly the same circumstances. Come on, folks. There's nothing new under the sun. There's not a sin that you're dealing with that the generations haven't dealt with and won in the past. There is not a situation that you can come across that's not just the same circumstance. But what is going to make the difference here? Someone who has a fiery faith. Someone who is looking to the Lord, looking to the heavens to do this right. Verse 24, then you call on the name of your God. Yeah, whatever you want that name to be, yeah, whatever that God is, you go ahead and call on His name. But I... I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, yeah, what you said is good. (laughs) Yeah, that's awful nice of them to say, um, that sounds like a good plan. Why? Because they have nothing to do with the plan. They're getting to watch the plan. They're going to figure out which God is God. Come on. It's almost like they're a congregation here watching someone who's doing some work. Man, what you said is good, pastor. Man, good job, guys. Way to say it, man. I agree with that. May he be God. Yeah, because it's not yet requiring anything of you. See, what we're doing today is not trying to show you and stand on a stage and call fire down. For our sake. We've been at the altars this morning. Your pastors have going, Lord, do something in us. That's been our prayer all day. Lord, do it in us first. Don't let us be guilty while we preach. Don't let us say something right and live something wrong. Why? Because we're asking the Lord. We're believing that the word is for you today. That you won't just sit here and go, yep, that's good, pastor. Way to go. And then go back out and do exactly what we've told you not to do. That you'll miss what God is actually telling you to do. Yeah, what you say is good. I even gave you a Facebook like for it. Wow, thank you for that. I was going to say, Pastor, I thought that fiery sermons were designed to be shared with other people that you thought they were for while you were listening to the message. (laughs) Yeah, our fiery sermons are for you. That your heart may be kindled. A fiery faith is never scared to be put to the test. That's what Elijah does. He stands there and like, let's prove it. Prove to me that your life is better doing what you're doing than what we're doing. Prove it to me. We will put the details on the line. It's gonna, you're going to see it in the exact same way. And then let's see who, whose God answers by fire. When was the last time that you were looking to have your faith tested? Man, I am on fire. Test me, Lord. Let it come right here. I will answer this. You show who you your favor to be upon. Or would you rather say, hey, it's good what you're saying. Man, that, that is a good, good word. Just keep it right over there. We have the same circumstances, but a fiery faith that finds the footing to fix altars and find the favor of both God and man. Amen. This is not a flaccid or a flaky faith. 
it is firm and fixed. It Amen. will endure before the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Somebody say firm. Firm. And fixed. Fixed. Men of God are immovable. We are the fixed point by which the world can measure to see where they stand with God. That is what it means to be a Christian, to be in Christ. You are not some miserable sinner that has simply attached his name to Jesus. You are being transformed into what he is. Elijah is able in these next verses to become a fixed point of reference with his fiery faith. Look at verse 29. Midday passed. They continued their frantic prophesying. I'm not even going to tell you what that reminds me of. I'm just going to let you figure it out. They figured... (laughs) We're so busy, you know. I'm sorry we could not make the foundational meetings of the church. We were so busy with our own ministry. Okay. You keep doing it your way. I'm sure God brought you here so that you could accent us like an ornament on a Christmas tree. I bet he brought you here to become exactly what we are. Be careful that your frantic ministry is not actually a cloak of pride that keeps you from being discipled. And I don't really care how old you are. You either are producing fruit that lasts for generations or you're producing a lot of hot air. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. I've just listened to see if crickets would would answer. (laughs) Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. What did Elijah say? Come here to me. This is exactly what Moses said when there was a problem among the Israelites. And the Levites were the only ones that came. Come here to me. Moses had said this earlier, hundreds of years earlier. And the ones that came to him as a fixed point of reference, they're the ones that became priests. The rest of them were in a nation called priests, but they themselves were not priests. Are you getting the picture? Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. Or continue doing whatever you want to do without fire from heaven. Get in the truck. Thank you, elder. Then Elijah said to the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord. See, the altar of the Lord is in ruins, but the people are acting like it's not because they've substituted all kind of activity for the altar that needed to be repaired. It's easier just to move on without repairing it. God brought you to life-changing ministries because something in your own life needed to be changed. I can assure you of that. If you have not yet identified it, come meet with me for an hour and I will help you identify it. If you don't like the repair, you don't have to stay. But if what you want is a life that changes, then you've come to the right place. By the way, the next time you go to Jiffy Lube, show up and tell them that you think that your oil's just fine the way that it is. And look and see if they look at you like, then why did you come? Because that's exactly how we feel when we see people over and over and over, sporadically, that have no interest in changing. You keep your dirty oil, you keep your dirty filter, and your engine will rot from the inside out. All we want is to see people do what Elijah is doing here. Actually see the glory of the Lord. Actually see fire from heaven. Frantic ministry is not ministry. The kind of ministry we're talking about lasts for decades and produces ministers all over the world. Far from frantic. (laughs) 
Far from frantic. Come on. Far from frantic, our faith is not fickle, flexible, or futile. We function in repairing the altar of men's hearts. We call them to the flames of the fiery faith that we ourselves possess. It was formed in the fires of God's holy altar. Like Moses and Elijah before us, we fire the faith of the priesthood. Do you feel fiery faith rising in this place this morning? Say something with me. Say, God brought me here. God brought me here to get fixed. To get fixed. In the same way that we see Elijah saying, come here to me. Is this for the, re- the purpose of being repaired, getting fixed, having a life that is changed and filled with a fiery faith? Let's pick up in verse 37 of chapter 18. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. So these people, what people is he speaking of? The very ones that he said, come to me. So that your altars may be repaired. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. What are the side effects of your fiery faith? That every time someone comes near to you, is it a beckoning call to have the altars of their hearts fixed to become right with God? Is it a display of His character and His glory on your shoulders, on your face, that will actually turn their hearts back again towards the living God? Verse 38 picks it up. Then the fire of the Lord fell down and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this. Say all the people. All the people. They fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Now, who did they say is God? The Lord. The Lord was God. Was it Elijah that they were calling God? Was it some other great man of God, a preacher that they admired so much? It was the God of Israel. What Elijah is demonstrating is that a fiery faith facilitates the faith of others. It turns them towards the Lord. A fantasy faith, a fallacious faith, turns them towards you and makes both you and the people idolaters. Idolaters. Fiery faith is for others as much as it is for you. Your faith must cause others to say, the Lord, he is God. Never would a great man or woman of God that you are. In fact, they'll probably hate you for it. Yeah. One of the reasons there's so much frantic ministry is because you don't leave people in a place where they have no choice but to turn to the Lord or clearly acknowledge they're following Baal. In other words, they feel better every time they talk to you because you make them feel okay about what they're doing. See, Elijah didn't do that. And you can sing songs about being filled with the spirit of Elijah, but you have to understand Elijah was hated by a nation until the nation turned. You can want the spirit that filled Jesus Christ, but they killed him for the actions that that spirit caused in him. See, we're not called to be nice with everyone. We're called to commit people to their position so that they know exactly where they are. That is the spirit of Elijah that we sing about, but you don't see it very often. I hope that people that are backslidden in this room feel grossly uncomfortable. If you're not yet, I will keep pushing until you are because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Is that what he does through you? 
Or does every backslidden, every reprobate, every kind of evil that exists in the church have no problem hanging out with you? Say, well, I'm ministering to them. No, you're ministering because you're like them. If you stand on the high ground, you can invite others up to it, but you cannot go down and put a foot in the swamp, and it is that swampiness that they're drawn to. Some of you should be insulted by the people that constantly seek out your attention. It is the devil trying to pick you off and you don't even realize it because your opinion of yourself is higher than God's opinion of you. You actually think that you're ministering when in fact you're just making yourself vulnerable. And you think that you're strong enough to handle it and life shows you that you're not because the demonstrable fruit is not there. Elijah made people pick between two opinions. Does your faith make people pick between two opinions? Or does it leave them with their own and feeling just fine about it? I'm not scared to disagree with you. I'm not scared to disagree with your mother or your friends or your children. Because it is that disagreement that is born of heaven that causes people to take assessment of where they're at. Are you afraid? Do you have a fairy faith? Or is your faith fiery? Amen. Come on now. Pastor said it earlier. The aim and goal of fiery faith is to make you mad, to make you glad, but never to leave you indifferent. Elijah was going to make them mad or he was going to make them glad, but he definitely wasn't going to leave them indifferent. If what people say after meeting you is that you're a great man and that you are practicing, therefore, a fictitious and felonious faith, I mean, it's criminal. To do such. In this house we want a fiery faith. We want a fiery faith that brings glory to God. And it never seeks to steal it from him. Amen. Amen. Let's look at some young men who had a fiery faith. Turn with us to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 15. Come on you already know where we're going on this. But don't miss what we're about to present to you. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 15. It says this, now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes of, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. Not just good, but very good. Hey, if you are ready at the drop of a hat, like a Pavlovian response to whatever music begins to play, that you begin to fall down and worship the idolatrous ways of our time. Very good is what the world is saying. Ooh, man. Come on now. I mean, let's be honest. We think of ourselves as a general population, a culture as Americans that don't have idols. <laughs> right. Not true. Let me ask you, how long does it take for you to pick up your phone in the morning as soon as your alarm goes off? Can you make it a whole five seconds before you start flipping through some other thing that is idolatrous in your life? Oh, maybe you're really, really well trained and you could wait a whole five minutes. You don't understand, Pastor. That's where my ministry is. <laughs> my ministry yeah. is on my idolatrous device. Yeah, if you have a Facebook ministry, you have a fallacious, felonious, false yes, ministry right. on your phone. That, let's, let's, it let's really not even blesses pretend. people, though. Yeah, so would send them $1,000. It doesn't do anything for their soul. Yeah. But if you do not worship it, 
you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. I mean, come on, let's, let's start to uh, turn up the heat just a little bit. Let's say if you're actually not going to do this, you go from being very good. This is exactly what Pastor was just saying. How can you be very good with people who are wicked in everything that they do? How can you be that way? Perhaps you resemble them more because your faith isn't fiery enough to fix the foundations of their faith. Perhaps what's going on here is that we resemble the world instead of standing apart from Him. And this is what this story is demanding of us today that we be reminded of. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Wow. The truth is, is that spirit of the world is just as arrogant. Let's be honest. The human sinful nature in you is just as arrogant as what this phrase is. It's just as arrogant thinking that against all actual proof, that what you're choosing to do is still the best way. That you can just invite Him into your plans and think that this is okay. That is just as arrogant as what I just read to you. See, a fiery faith cannot, it must not, and it will not fall down in fornication to the flood of dissipation, succumbing to the spirit of the society of this world. Fiery faith is not expedient, folks. It's not fair weather. It's not a fast kind of faith. A fiery faith says, I will not fall and bow down. I am immovable, firm, and fixed. I will choose, I'd rather choose the furnace than to lose my convictions. I will choose the furnace and my convictions. Oh, come on. That's, I choose the furnace and my convictions. See, we tend to think that our beliefs will keep us out of the furnace. Or that it's okay to just kind of remain silent if it keeps you out of the furnace. That furnace was meant to forge you into a son of God. Amen. What the devil meant to destroy you, Jesus Christ meant to form you. Look at verse 16. And Bim, I'm not going to make the joke today. I think it will come to everybody's mind anyway. So I'm not going to make the joke today. I don't want to make any allusion to Abimbola and Abednego. I, I don't, it's not necessary that we talk about anything like that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves. Oh, that's right. Do you have convictions that don't even need to be defended? I got to tell you, I don't like it when there's misunderstandings. I want to go explain myself. If you're not careful, that's a form of idolatry. If you're standing on the right kind of convictions, they don't need to be defended. If you're worried about what people are thinking, then you might not be actually standing on your convictions. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, it's not just a furnace. What is it? Blazing furnace. The blazing furnace. The God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not. This is my favorite thing. I don't know. It's like the one little bit of rebellion that we're allowed. We can submit to the Lord in a way that is rebellious to a rebellious king. I mean, that's not the best way to say this. But the truth is, is there's just something in my soul that is like, even if he doesn't. I'm still not going to give you the satisfaction. (laughs) Come on. Do you have some Holy Ghost defiance in you? If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. 
And he will rescue us from your hands, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know. Like, I just want you to know. O king, get that title in there one more time. That we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. See, it's time for a question. Is the furnace hotter than your fiery faith? The furnace of affliction must not overcome your convictions or you do not possess a truly fiery faith. You have been sold a fairy faith. These three Hebrews and the fourth that is coming in the fire, they had a fantastic faith. They did not have a fairy faith. Let's read about this further in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. Furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The kind of fiery faith that we need can look in the eyes of rebellious kings and our allegiance to the king of kings will make the rebellious king absolutely furious. It enrages him. Pastor, the truth is, is there are people here in this room and you have made it your aim to never make anyone furious. You're hoping to go through life and say just the right thing at the right time. But what we're telling you today is that a fiery faith will demand that people get furious at you for your holiness, for your righteousness, for your stance, for your conviction. When was the last time somebody got mad at you? (laughs) Amen. That girl's full of fiery faith. Amen. Amen. Pastor, that's a fine example of a feminine fiery faith. That's right. Yes. Oh, fairy faith just wants to go around and charm everyone with uh, tales of something that is false. And his attitude toward them changed. I'm sure it did. That's he, another kind of life-changing ministry. <laughs> You're going to change your life in one direction or the other. That's right. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Seven times. Even to the point where the guards standing nearby were consumed in those flames. You know, at first, a fiery faith stokes the fury of God's enemies. What is your fiery faith stoking? Whenever you walk into a room, do people become just furious with you at the very thought of the holiness of God that dwells within you, that burns like a raging fire? Do they say, I would like... Matthew to come visit, but not the Matthew that is a pastor. You know what? I really mm. would like to see Matthew that was just, you know, my friend all those years ago. Yes. Could you come and give me love and support, but not bring Jesus with you? See, that Matthew P. Rose dead. The one that stands here now is ablaze with fiery faith. And what it should provoke is the fury of others that is seven times hotter than usual. I remember people speaking to me after the fact of being born again and said, I didn't know why, I just knew that I hated you. And you were one of the nicest guys on our school's campus. There was nothing legitimate to point to to say that I hated you. But now that I know I was being ruled by demonic powers in my own sin, it was my distance and absence of God's presence that made me so furious with just who you were. we got to have a fiery faith that makes our enemies furious. The testing of our convictions occurs within the furnace of others' fury. 
Your convictions must pass through the fires. Amen. Let me say this again. Your convictions must pass through the fires of testing in order to transform others. If the fires are seven times hotter than your fiery faith, must become eight times more formidable. If the fiery flames of persecution are seven times as hot, your fiery faith has to be eight times as hot. Amen. Let's look in verse 24. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. Come on, Cody. This reminds me of having a, a faith that is so fiery that it's astonishing to those around us. And he asked his advisors, uh, Hey guys, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. Somebody say, Unbound. Unbound. And unharmed. Unharmed. See, that fire that you keep trying to avoid is the very thing that's going to free you from your shackles. Yeah. It's the very thing that will purify you and put you on the right path. See, you're worried about dying, but if you give up your life already, you get to walk around <laughs> in the fire, unharmed, unbound, and able to achieve what God has for you. Wait, but the fourth. The fourth. That fourth in the fire. I mean, I know only through three in, but there's four. And they're unbound and unharmed, but that fourth looks like a son of the gods. This is... An unsaved, wicked man who's looking and saying, golly, this isn't just a fourth that's in the fire. There's something that is, that is heavenly about this man that I'm looking at. I don't even know how to explain it. I don't even know how to say it. But there's something that's going on. A fiery faith is more than being familiar with the fires of heaven. It is being of the family of the fires of yes. heaven. Servants that are themselves flames of fire. Very sons of God. A fiery faith brings the forth in the fire. A fiery faith turns the fury of others into favor from others. A fiery faith doesn't pretend. It persists. It prevails. And it propagates faith in others. See, when you're set ablaze from heaven, others will be offended by it for sure. But eventually, they see the sincerity of your convictions. And some of them, say some... A few of them, say few, Few. a tiny fraction of them will be saved. Do you know what that means about the rest? They're supposed to hate you because they actually hate the Lord. And when you stand with the Lord, it shows by the way that they treat you. If you do not stand with the Lord, then of course they'll love you just as you are. They'll just consider that you have some feelings that maybe they don't agree with. And that's about it. Have you ever wondered how it is that you live like Jesus every day, but the world doesn't want to crucify you? Could it be that you're not actually living like Jesus? Could it be that you actually have a different image in your mind of what Jesus was like? Oh, Jesus was congenial. He loved everybody and everybody loved him. Not so. Not not so. In fact, you can walk with me through the chapters of John. You have to buy the coffee. If you buy the coffee, I will sit with you. And from memory, walk through the chapters of John and show you a disagreement in every chapter. They hated him. They killed him. They didn't just hate him. They hated those who loved him. None of the apostles had a life free from persecution. Paul, writing to Timothy, says anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. 
The reason that you get along so well with the world is there's so much world in you. You've, uh, you've accredited yourself with godly behavior because of what you say you believe, but it is not because of what you do. See, a fiery faith will eventually transform others because of what you are doing. They will see that you do not back up, that you do not let up, that you do not shut up. Look at verse 28. You'll watch this in a pagan king. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of... Hey, catch those first few words. Praise be to the God, the God, the one God, the God above every God. Who is saying this? The one that was being worshipped as God before they took their stand. Maybe the world's waiting on you to take a truly fiery stand. Maybe your fairy faith has had you leaning towards anybody that might show you acceptance. See, I'm not interested in being accepted by the world. I've been accepted by my Father in heaven. And I'm concerned with whether or not He will accept them. Is your life acceptable to the Lord? Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent His angel and rescued His servants. They trusted Him. The pagan king saw the difference between men who say they have faith And men who actually had a fiery faith. They trusted him. How did he know that? Because they went into the furnace. See, if you're not willing to get in the furnace in a relationship, then they're never going to see you trust the Lord. Trister, you ever had a problem with relatives? Mr. Arizina, you ever had a problem with relatives? It shouldn't surprise you that more, most, the majority of my relatives want nothing to do with me because they want nothing to do with Jesus. They hate that they can say that they love the Lord. Their lives do not show it. And when they're around me, they're left nowhere to go. They hate it. Of course, they feel the same way when the presence of Jesus shows up. But they're fine in settings where His presence doesn't show up and He's just talked about. What we are saying about a fiery faith is that it will always engender fury. But it will sometimes also engender transformation in the other person. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives. See, I think that's the issue right there. I think it just costs too much and you don't want to pay it. It costs too much. You can get by like most people and it's not a problem. Friends, if they don't treat you like Jesus, how can you be like Jesus? You're a better version of Jesus. You just say things that much more artfully. You're better than the apostles. You're able to get along with a world that is destined for hell just fine because you're just that smooth. Be careful that your smooth tongue that gets along with everybody and likes everybody's videos and they all like your videos is not a fairy faith because it's a fairy tale that you'll inherit the kingdom like that. Yeah. Refusing to flip-flop on your convictions facilitates faith in others. This kind of ferocious, fiery faith functions as the transforming catalyst in creating faith in others. Our fiery faith must and will turn the hearts of men back to our God. Fiery faith says, you are not the king in this situation, O king. He is the king in every situation. He is the king in every occasion. 
He is the King at every location. In fact, He's the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. That is not fiction. It is a fact. And you can see it in my life. Can I see it in yours? He's the King of kings. Come on now. If He's the King of kings, then He directs your priorities. You do not direct your priorities. If He's the King of kings, He has the right to say, sit and learn. He has the right to say, get up and implement. He has the right to direct you. If you're directing your own life, doing what you like and refusing what you dislike, then He is the King of kings, but you're not a king with Him. The fictional faith says if you say you believe, then that's all that's required. But the faith that is based in fact says you are a king underneath his kingdom and he is the ultimate king. Are your behavior, is your behavior and are your actions royal? Or do they royally suck? And you just pretend that it's okay. Because there's a day when the sky will flee from His presence. The earth will shake beneath His feet. Graves will split open. And there will be nowhere to hide. You think it's uncomfortable in here. We just represent Jesus. Wait till you are staring at Him face to face. And He is not this fairy white lily Jesus with a lamb around His neck patting you on the head saying He loves your idolatrous behavior. One of the signs that we serve the King of Kings that he has a fire in his eyes are you going to allow yourself to go into the furnace of persecution as you join that king with the same fire in his eyes well i ask you this morning what keeps coming up during worship during this word is evaluating your priorities are you going to let your priorities be burned up in the blazing fire of God's presence so that he can reissue right priorities in your life and you can be pleasing to the king of all kings and not just to the king of your own doing. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. I have to admit, saints, when I was reading the scripture, begin to bring to mind something new. It came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You know, every artist's rendition of Pentecost features little flickers of fire on their foreheads. These nice little, you know, candelabras. I want to say this morning that, first of all, that is an absolute fallacy. They got it wrong. The Bible never presents the Holy Spirit as a domesticated feline. But rather, the raging power of the Holy Spirit is better featured, featured as a ferocious, feral lion. I'm talking about one with teeth, one with power, one that fills the entirety of the human being. But picture it. 
On that day, in that upper room, the 120, the Holy Spirit is poured out. In your minds, do you see a little flicker above their head? But instead, picture fire being poured out from heaven. Filling them to the point it is now going into their feet and filling the earth through them. That like a bucket of fire is emptying itself into every saint whose heart is hungry for fiery faith and fulfilling the destiny of God's fire hitting the earth. But it must come through you and through your feet. We don't want little fairy flickering fire on your forehead. We want a raging Holy Ghost fire that goes all the way to your feet and your feet to take you to the four corners of the world. Come on, let's look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power. Somebody say power. Power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Their fiery faith was fit for an entirely different kingdom. Their fiery faith was focused on their feet. Yes. Come on. What is your fiery faith focused on? Oh, man. Today's mealy mouth ministers are mistaken. If they could learn to masticate on the magnificence of His Word, then their feet would be full of faith and not their mouths. Fiery faith must show up in our feet because we show our faith by what we do. Amen. You know Noah had a fiery faith. It showed up in his feet. The man built an ark. Abraham had a fiery faith. It showed up in his feet when he left Ur the Chaldeans. Elijah had a fiery faith. It showed up in his feet. Not only because of the altar that was consumed by fire, but because this man, he tucked his cloak and had a fiery, faith-filled feet that outran the king's chariots. When I think of Jehu, I can't help but think of a fiery faith. It showed up in his feet as he ran to do the will of God with an immediacy that ignited others. Gideon had a fiery faith. It showed up in his feet as he smashed his earthen jar, raised his trumpet, and charged towards the enemies of God. Come on, Peter and John had fiery faith. It showed up in their feet as they ran to the tomb where Jesus once was. The Apostle Paul had a fiery faith. It showed up in his feet as he fought the good fight and he ran to finish the race. Philip had a fiery faith. It showed up in his feet as his fire was the first to light the fire of revival to Ethiopia. Come on, on, that is so good. We're going to have to talk about that particular facet of our faith. A fiery faith fills things. It always does. It fills men. It fills cities. It fills regions. It fills nations with the very glory of God. Turn with us to Acts chapter 5. And let's look at verse 28. Come on, you're not starting to lose your fire today, are you? Goodness gracious. Acts 5, 28 says this. We gave you strict orders not to teach. In this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Now, wait a minute. These are men who are opposing the very men of God. They said, we told you not to teach, but not only are you teaching, but you are filling this city with what you're talking about. Yeah. My God, what does your life look like, church? Are you able to fill something with the fire of heaven that is inside of you? What about your mouth? Is your mouth filled with his fire? What about your family? your home, your work. What are you able to fill with the fire? Because if you have a fiery faith, you're going to fill those things that are around you. When you are filled with this fiery faith, you will fill the city that you live in. Because they filled Jerusalem with it. Amen. 
It could be that there are times you're not filled with a fiery faith because you're full of something else. You know, you can't be filled with a fiery faith, filled with a spirit of holiness, and hang on to unforgiveness. You've got to crucify it. So I don't want to crucify it. I love it. I want to nurture it. Then you can't have Christ. This thing that filled the men, so filled the men that they filled their city. The thing that filled the men and filled the city went further than that. Let's look at Acts 8.1. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out. What kind of persecution? Great. Great. Against the church at Jerusalem. I've always wondered whether it was just our church that stayed under constant fire or whether all churches stayed under constant fire. Because it really looks like there's an easier way. You know, if we got one of those little collars that those men with fairy faith wear, if we maybe made things more acceptable, if I just toned it down a little, I bet we could all just get along fine. But that wouldn't be a fiery faith. That'd be a fictitious faith. The church is being persecuted because they were a threat to the enemy. That's the truth. A fiery faith is a threat to the enemy. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The word scattered there means scattered with intention. God intentionally moved the fiery faith of the church all over the world. The fury of the enemy. It only serves to help us to be the forerunners in announcing the kingdom of God to new areas. At this point, We are seeing the fires of heaven's altar move from Jerusalem to Judea. And in this same chapter, Samaria, just as God had said. See, a fiery faith fulfills God's call. Say that with me. A fiery faith fulfills God's call. It doesn't just fill you and fill your city and fill a region. It fulfills God's call. You can't have a fiery faith if you don't complete the call. Yeah. As the saints were in Samaria, they refused to sell salvation or the Spirit. First and foremost, fiery faith is a forge where true men kindle the fires of heaven. You know what is not a forge? In fact, it's a forgery. It's when slick salesmen, their sin is demonstrating a faking of the fires of heaven for a price. Something they can benefit from. Because fiery faith has to be free for all who call on the name of the Lord. It has to be available. Come on, fiery faith must be free. Say that with me. Fiery faith must be free. You know, that brings us back to Philip. Because he was talking to the secretary of the treasury. Oh, yeah. The fountain of finances. (laughs) But Philip was not a fisher of funds. He was not fondling funds as a forger. Philip had a formidable faith. Yeah, he did. If you're going to talk about Philip, somebody say, talk about it. Talk about it. Let's not forget about Philip's four daughters. 
find feminine examples of a fiery faith who prophesied. They didn't do it for a pitiful price. They prophesied by the power of a fiery faith. Look, Pastor Wade said that we were going to do it. So Pastor Wade, a facet of faith is always displayed in Philip's feet. Look at Acts 8, starting in verse 27. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. An important official. He was in charge. (laughs) What was he in charge of? All the treasury. I got to tell you, I've got access to the treasury of heaven. I am not a fisher of funds. Candace is the queen of the Ethiopians. Now, when you think Ethiopia today, you might think weak, emaciated, and flies. Because that's what Sally Struthers shows us on television late at night. Ethiopia in this time is a powerhouse of the world. Ethiopia of this time is representing most of the continent of Africa as far as wealth. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it where you stay. Come on, man, where you stay. You stay in the house of God. You stay where he tells you to stay. What if Philip was just too busy out ministering to people that didn't want the gospel but were related to it? Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you see Philip's fiery faith in his feet? What first appeared in Jerusalem was reaching the foremost parts of Ethiopia and would go on to the four corners of the world. You can tell how fiery your faith is by its furthest reaches that your feet venture to go. Your fiery faith must first affect your family. Say family first. Family first. Then your fiery faith must focus forward to the four corners of the world. If your life is changed, it will lead to change within your family. They'll either love you or hate you. And then it has to move beyond your family. If you stand around begging your family to love you and love Jesus for the rest of your life, you deny the call of God. You know, church, some people would say that we're feisty. LCM is just a bit feisty. Intense would be another word. But you know what we prefer to say that we are? We are ferocious. Yeah, we are. Absolutely ferocious. Do you all have to be so serious all the time? Yes. 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 Feel my fiery faith as it burns your sin away. Amen. Because <laughs> in this house, we have become formidable because we know our function. We are fixed on and fortified by the firstborn son who gave us his spirit to facilitate a firm foundation that is favorable to all those who would call upon him. He is our fortification. And our fiery feet are his glorification. Let me say that again. He is our fortification. And our fiery feet are his glorification. Amen. Are you focused on him today? Is he a feature of your life? Like sprinkles on the top of a cupcake. Or is he first in your life? Is he first, saints? It's measured by the quality of your priorities. Your actions demonstrate. Is he a feature or is he first? 
I want a chocolate Jesus with a little sprinkles and maybe a swirl of whipped cream. <laughs> This is what our fairy faith sounds like. It does. It does. No, no. I want the vanilla bean Jesus. No, no. Isn't there a stroke? Can't, can't there be a great divide, Jesus? <laughs> Bluebell may have great divide, but Jesus doesn't. Listen, saints, what's at stake is the actual representation of the kingdom. The Bible describes the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world at war with one another. Yeah. How then can we sit with a fairy faith and feel no warfare? Whew. Let's turn together to Revelation 19 and put your fiery finger on the first verse. Yeah, man. Revelation 19, first verse. It says this, after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude yeah. in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Church, this multitude had been filled with fiery faith. Their, fi their faith fired the faith of others. They may even be firing your faith now. And the truth is, it is the kind of faith that will fire the faith of future generations. They faced the fury and the flame of trial and temptation and were dressed in fine linen because of their faith that showed up in their fiery feet. Church, in Revelation 19, you are seeing what happens when a fiery faith takes hold of your life because it transformed these people into being exactly what the king is. That's what a fiery faith will do in us, is transform us to be like our king. Yeah. The multitude in the heavens, they shouted, Hallelujah! Are you in the kingdom of God or not? How did you leave Paul saying Hallelujah all alone? If the multitude in the heavens rumbled and shouted Hallelujah, how did that man stand alone? See, that's the problem with us. We're all too easily sitting backwards electing one person to go do what every man and every woman in this room is called to do. Are you a saint or not? Yes. Then heaven ought to hear us. We ought to represent heaven. Hell ought to fear us. And everywhere we go, we ought to cause people to see a distinction. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 11 with me. This is the Apostle Paul speak, or the Apostle John speaking. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful. Come on, man. Faithful. Yes. And true. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. Come on, I just want to go to heaven. You can't. If you're not following him in the kingdom here, you do not get to be in the army following him in the heavens. Well, all I want to do is believe on Jesus and go to heaven. That would be demonstrated in your fiery feet, following him to victory right here. Yeah. Well, I, all I know is I raised my hand and I prayed a prayer. Well, a lot of people have done it and they were liars then and liars now. It will show up if you have a fiery faith in your feet. It will show up in your actions. It does not simply show up in a prayer that you didn't write but prayed. Let that settle in for a second. The armies of heaven. 
In other words, on earth or in heaven. Armies of heaven. They follow Him. Are you following Him or are you doing what you like and asking Him to follow you? The armies of heaven were following Him. Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen. That comes from fiery faith. Out of His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. The only way to escape the fury of God Almighty is to possess a faith that is as fiery as His. Are your eyes like Jesus? Are your feet like Jesus? Are your actions like Jesus? Or do you really think that the guy pictured in this story is going to look at you and go, oh yes, you're acceptable. No fruit, no fire, no faith, but you're acceptable because you said you were? Are you kidding me? Things that would not pass for a local mayor of a small town are not going to pass for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's time to examine ourselves. He's the King of Kings and He is the Lord of Lords. That ought to determine our behavior. Did you hear it in the passage? The title that He is faithful. Did you hear in the passage the description of that King of Kings that He is filled with a blazing fire? Did you hear in the passage that they were dressed in fine linen? Fine linen. Did you hear it that His fury addressed all those who did not possess a fiery faith? Come on, church. We're talking about a king who walks among the fires of the menorah. That his eyes are full of fire, looking for those with fire in their eyes. His feet are like burnished bronze, and this is the king that we serve. The king of kings and the lord of lords. And the fires of his judgment are reserved for those without a fiery faith. If your faith has no fruitfulness, then you have a false fire. Your work must pass through the forge of the fires of heaven to be proven faithful and not false. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 12. If any man builds on this foundation, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or stubble, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved. But only as one escaping through the flames. How does your faith stack up? To the foundation of who Christ is as the King of Kings and as the Lord of Lords. Because your faith and the deeds that come from your faith are going to be tested with fire. It will be revealed with fire. What you cover over now, you hide in the shadows of justification and self-directed priorities. There is going to be a day that the fire of God will reveal exactly what the motives and the quality of that priority. But we're to have a faith that is forged in the fire of heaven and one that fears no flame. 
We want to be saints that can stand at the throne of God on judgment day. And after passing through that fire, be surrounded by a rich reward of complete obedience to our king. Wow. Come on, church. The first thing that you're going to see when you die is his face and a book. And without a fiery faith, you're going to surely follow into the fires of hell. Those without fiery faith in their feet may make it into the fictitious false world of Facebook, but they won't want to face him in his book. Mm. We want you to be proud on that day. To begin that process, you need to start forgetting what you thought faith was. Faith is found in your feet. Be the first to finish well in this room. Be of the fiery faith that finishes well in life, not just this room. Do you need to repent of dead, fireless faith that has no feet? Do you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit today? Flame the fires that are from heaven. Have you been fickle in your faith, fluctuating between fiery faith and a fairy faith? Let's put up our last slide. In this, we started with the book of Leviticus, illustrating that we have the faith that fires future generations. In Kings, we find that faith it must have no fluctuation. The book of Daniel, a faith that forges deep convictions. The book of Acts, that we must be filled with faith that is found in your feet. The book of Revelation, a faith that follows to victory. And in the book of Corinthians, a faith that passes through the flames. If we could leave these on the screen, I want to walk through some questions that should be going through your mind. When you see something like the book of Leviticus, faith that fires future generations. Do you want to imitate faith that you see in someone else? Do others want to imitate the faith they see in you? See, I think... When we say DCD, we ought to start thinking disciples creating disciples. In Genesis, everything gave birth according to its kind. What does the kind you give birth look like? They're more passionate about hockey? More passionate about LSU football? See, you produce exactly what you are. Some of you don't produce much. What does that tell you? You haven't become much in the kingdom. Your faith is not fiery enough to even spark something around you. Some of you are producing something. Does it look like you want it to look? It's worth asking. A generation of priests are supposed to come from us. A generation. A thousand of them. Have you set the example for what that looks like? Do you like what you're already producing? Don't get me wrong. If they're your children, of course you like them. You love them. Are they of the kind of quality that you would like? Any lack in them came from you. You give birth according to what you are. It came from you. The answer for fixing anything anywhere in your family starts inside of you. Do others want to imitate you? Could you say, follow me as I follow Christ? You ought to be living a life that inspires others to want to have faith like yours. That's not the realm of a, a select few. 
He said to all of us to go into the world and make disciples. You can't make a disciple if when they look at you, they don't see the kind of faith they want to imitate. So I just don't know if I'm called to that. Then you're not in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're called to make more of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Second one. Faith with no fluctuation. Can others count on you? In Romans 4, and we're going to stay here. In Romans 4, Abraham did not waver through unbelief. It was Romans 4.20. He reasoned in his heart God was able to perform what He had promised. When others look at your faith, can they count on you? Or do you have it for a solid week or two weeks? And then your family knows you will go right back to spending all day on YouTube. Can you be counted on? Husbands, we're teaching every wife in here to follow you. But should she? She has to. It's what the Word says. But is your life worth following? Get all motivated. I'm going to clean the house. I'm going to do this. We're going to change everything. And two weeks later, you've already given up. Can you be counted on? If you come make a commitment at this altar today, will every member of your family know it will not be in your mind in a month? A fiery faith can be counted on. It doesn't burn out. I've been being told I'm going to burn out for 26 years. Do I look burned out to you? No. A fiery faith stands under trial. The book of Daniel taught us that today. 1 Peter 1.7 literally teaches that it's the refining fire that refines our faith. It proves it genuine. What have your trials taught you? Oh, that the Lord comes through. That's not what I'm asking you. What have they taught you about your faith? Does it make you go, yes, yes, my faith is sustaining me. Yes, my faith is real. Or when you think about your trial, it's what you see. Oh my God. If he hadn't rescued me there, there's no way that I would have trusted him. Can you even admit it to yourself? When you move on and you see the book of Acts, how could it be any more clear? Faith always fills a life so that it can fill feet. Do you display what you believe daily? We made eye contact, many of us. You, you, I already answered the question for you before. Yes, I'm talking to you. There's so, so many of you that have no problem with what I'm preaching, but it's not in your life. Oh no, we're just like you. If you were just like us, where is the demonstrable fruit? How can you be just like us and you were saved before I was born? And there's no fruit. How long does a tree go before it produces fruit? If it's not showing up in your life, I assure you something needs to change today. Quit comforting yourself with what you say you believe and start looking at what you have done are doing and must finish. Foundational principle in this church as we perform out there what we've practiced in here. Is that even remotely true about you? 
We moved on to the book of Revelation. Faith that follows to victory. Do you realize that the linchpin of Christianity is that a man in Matthew 16 had a revelation? You're the Christ. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by men, but by God. Not on a decision card. Not led by some icicle behind a pulpit. He got it from God. And do you know what Jesus said to him? This is my church. The gates of hell shall not overcome it. Have you ever considered what the opposite of that verse means? If your life is being overcome by hell, you can't be the church. See, what had happened was, no, I know what never happened. That's the problem. You're trying to get in the kingdom without a life transformation. The church overcomes hell. The church is not overcome by hell. That's a fairy faith, not a fiery faith. Do we look overcome by hell to you? Can I assure you that we deal with more problems in a week than you do? When you possess a truly fiery faith, it overcomes hell. It looks at the furnaces of Hades and said, you know what? He's going to rescue me, but even if he doesn't, don't you think for a minute I'll fall on my face before you. How have you handled your trials? Does it show that you are the church? Or does it show something entirely different? Will anything you have done survive the testing of 1 Corinthians 3? This was the most horrifying thing for me to contemplate. And we sat through it in here like, Amen, fiery faith. That was a whole lot of F words. If you know that your life right now is rolled up in a scroll and the only thing that matters at all is what you know for sure God said for you to do and you have completed and that's what you would be judged by for an eternity don't tell me that you would just sit there and not squirm you would just sit there with no problem because that's exactly what 1 Corinthians 3 is teaching us you say oh but you know what it's not the end of my life I still got time do you are you sure If you look back at how you spent the last five years, are you confident that in five more years you will have completed the call of God on your life? Fiery faith fulfills the call. It doesn't just get busy with ministry activity. It fulfills the actual call. I sat and I thought as we were going over this and I, it's why I was at the altar. My stomach began to cramp with knots because there are so many things he told me to do. And you know what? It didn't last anyway. People fell away. They loved the world. They looked at what LCM is and said, yeah, that's not us. We're not going to be that. But we're still in Christ. Well, I wish it were true. What about things that you never asked him about? What about things you just did because you wanted to feel good about something? I gave $10 to a homeless man. 
You might have advanced hell in this life. Did the Lord tell you to do it? I want to know something. How confident are you that if you had to stand before Him this moment and show Him what your faith had produced, are you confident it would pass through the fire of His testing? Because that caused me to get knots in my stomach. We're going to take just a minute here. The answer to everything is more of His Spirit of holiness. It always has been. I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 1.21. Now it is God who makes both, both us and you stand firm in Christ. Man, that's good news, isn't it? He can make us both stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, it says. You've been anointed of God? Are you smeared with His presence? That's what anointed means. It's not a theological concept. It's smeared. Has some of Him rubbed off on you? He set a seal of ownership on us. You don't have a problem telling the difference between a Ford, a Chevy, and a Dodge. They have a seal of ownership on them. How clear is your ownership today? And can He really own you if you're still doing what you want to do? And put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit. That's not a deposit as in a down payment. That's not a deposit that says, because this is here, it's all atoned for. That's not the right way to read this. Look at the next line. Guaranteeing what is to come. What is His Spirit guaranteeing? Well, if you listen to His Spirit, if the Spirit that's been deposited in you, if the anointing that is on you is what is guiding you, you will have a faith that fires future generations. You will have a faith that refuses to fluctuate. You will have a faith that forges deep convictions in you. You will have a faith that fills your whole life, including your feet. You will have a faith that follows the King straight into victory. And you will have a faith that produces things that pass through the flames. I didn't even tell my brothers as we sat there during worship I got a scripture and I, I'm, I just want you to know where it came from I'm not assemblies of God in fact my only allegiance is to Jesus but it came from remembering a Lyndall Cooley song about a time when God reached into the church and he sent a cleansing fire that changed the church they called it the Brownsville Revival. One of the prophecies here today was revival! I remembered in the song something. It comes from Isaiah 64, 1 through 3. And it's where we are absolutely closed. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things, catch this, 
that we did not expect you came down and the mountains trembled before you I believe that God will do things in here that we didn't expect I think there can be mountain shaking faith in here but you can't ask the mountains to tremble if you want you can't ask the earth to shake if it's impossible to shake you from a fallacy faith from a fantasy faith from a fairy faith oh no I've been good for 20 years that's your problem you haven't checked yourself since the day you said you gave your life to the Lord those of us who are really in the faith are working out our salvation with fear and trembling we're saying Lord does the fire in my heart represent your altar We find ourselves short of it regularly. We said, save us again. Change us again. Help us. Fuel us. That's what salvation looks like. I'm asking you to examine yourself. See whether or not your faith passes the test. You've had 20 years to examine me. You don't think my faith passes the test? Go somewhere else. We want you to have a genuine faith that affects the world around you, but most of all starts with you and your family. That's what we're fighting for today. I don't need to preach any more messages. I'm not trying to fundraise. All I want is to leave this planet with people on fire for Jesus. And I don't want hundreds of thousands. I just want every life in this room. Would you stand to your feet? Heavenly Father, you are the fiery faith that we need. You are the trust that we need. You are the rock for us to stand on. Almighty One, will you move in here today? Will you do something we did not expect? Will you help us here?